we see, of course, Pharaoh is troubled by his, his two dreams that he has had, and he suspects that uh, it means it's bad news for his kingdom. And he, so he gets all his magicians and his counselors, and nobody can interpret the dream, which shows me that it was from God, uh, not from uh, the devil, because if that was the case, then they would have known the interpretation of it. But, but anyway, uh, the cupbearer huh, remembers Joseph at this time after two years and tells Pharaoh that Joseph can interpret his dreams. And, and so Joseph uh, tells uh, Pharaoh that there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And uh, he, he should save a portion of the grain back in the plenteous years for the seven bad years to come. And I'll comment on that at the end of the message, how that relates to Christ. But it's really interesting. Uh, Joseph, at this point, when uh, Pharaoh is looking for someone wise and discerning to put in charge over the program, Joseph doesn't say, pick me. Uh, he tells Pharaoh, no, choose a wise and discerning person. Uh, and Pharaoh picks him. And so we find Joseph is greatly blessed in really a supernatural way. He becomes prime minister of Egypt, second in command. And, uh, and so we can find God now, uh, after taking Joseph through many trials and tribulations, he is exalted. And we have to remember in our own lives that we go through trials and tribulations, and we're not to keep our eyes on this life, what we're going through, and I'll talk about that a little bit, but no, we're to keep our eyes on what's ahead. We have a, we have a city, we have a kingdom to come, uh, and this is not it. This is not it, brothers and sisters. Uh, we're just passing through. We're strangers, and we're pilgrims in this land. And uh, so I want to observe several things, and some of these will actually be a repeat because in Joseph's life we see a repetition. But it's good. repetition is good because instead of giving a review, I can just mention it again because uh, it's mentioned here in the scripture again. But we find that uh, no amount of earthly riches or power, pleasures or anything else can bring true peace or joy. We see that in verses uh, 7 and 8. Uh, Pharaoh uh, probably being the most powerful man and was the powerful man in the world at that time, most likely, certainly the richest. I'm sure he slept on silk uh, sheets and silk uh, uh, pillows and uh, had many servants uh, and was blessed in so many ways. And you might say he was at the top of the pyramid. And, uh, but it's Interesting because with all of that, we find he was troubled over a dream. He had all of that, and he was troubled. He was, the meaning is, sore distressed. Even with all of these luxuries that he had, he was sore distressed, troubled. 
which teaches us again that uh, there will be, no matter what you have, there will be trials and tribulations. Uh, what would it be like with no worries or cares? And you might say, well, I'd like to experience that. Well, you will one day, and that will be when we get to heaven, when Jesus comes again, when all the tears and the sorrows will be done away with. But uh, you may dream about that. I do. I dream about, I've even dreamed about the second coming before, uh, once. But uh, I dream and look forward to a time when there will not be heartaches and, and suffering and pain and death. And it will be gone. And so uh, don't think just because somebody has everything that they're happy. Do not envy the wicked. Please do not envy the wicked. They commit suicide all the time. You hear about it at an early age. They're making millions and millions and millions of dollars, whether they're musicians or whatever, and they're not happy because they take their own life. And it's sad. And, and uh, they're not satisfied. They're not content. And uh, <clears throat> so don't envy them. When you... <clears throat> When you have all of that, though, you still have another problem. And what's that? Losing it all. Those kind of people are suspicious of everyone. Pharaoh was worried about being poisoned. He even had somebody to taste his food and his wine. And um, you want to have a lot of friends win the lottery. But they will be like fake news. They will be fake friends. And... Uh, it's sad that that happens that way. Even Tom Hanks, when we met him out in Hollywood, and Tom Hanks said, uh, we invited him to come down and, and just meet with the lunch bunch down at the farm like we did yesterday and just sit around and kick up and, you know, basically do nothing. He said, I would love to. He said, I'm not my own man. He said, I don't have a day that's not planned out for me and is busy. He said, I can't do anything like that. See, he may have it all, and yet he cannot do the simpler things that we enjoy. And so never envy the wicked. What is great gain then? Uh, what is great gain? We find 1 Timothy 6, beginning verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Never saw a hearse pulling a trailer. But if we have food and clothing, by the way, that's not in the scripture. That's, I, I added that. <laughs> but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, and by the way, you can be poor and want to be rich. It's not that you have to be rich. It's your heart attitude towards it. Fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money, notice the love, not money. I've, I've said before, if you have a problem with money, you can just give it to me. I have, you know. But it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people uh, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue. In other words, don't just sit around, but 
actively, positively pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. By the way, that's a perfect description of Joseph. Think about it. He was all of those things right there. Faithful, loving, enduring, gentle, righteous, all of those things Joseph was. And so, <clears throat> contentment, so important in life to be content. Psalm 37, 16, better <clears throat> the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Proverbs 37, 16. <clears throat> I really believe that wherever there is true godliness, wherever there is true godliness, there will be contentment. The two go together. <clears throat> For the wicked, the whole world wouldn't be enough. Why? Because they'll never be satisfied. Just a little more. How much do you have? Have this much? Whoa. Well, what else do you need? Just a little more. You're just a little more, just a little more. No happiness. And that's where Pharaoh was right here. <clears throat> Pharaoh had nothing of lasting value, but who did? Joseph. Think of that. He's been in prison content. I mean, he wanted to get out, don't misunderstand me, but I mean, he knew that God had him there for a purpose. And we need to have that same contentment. And if you have Christ, you have all that really matters. <clears throat> he is all you need. He is all you need. Do you have him? Do you have him? That's the question. Have you called upon him? Have you trusted him? Have you sought him? Have you called upon his name? Do you pray to him? Do you love him? These questions are very, very important in life. Most important thing in all of life. And then secondly, how often it is that we, <clears throat> how often it is that we remember to do good to others only when it benefits us or when it's convenient for us. Sad to say, that's, that happens. Only when it is in our best interest to do so. Why did this cupbearer remember Joseph two years later? Have you ever thought about that? Of course, you could say, well, it just didn't come to his mind. No, I bet you, I bet you it did. I bet it did, but it does, it does he says, oh, I've, I've goofed, you know, I've made a mistake here, and uh, he brings up Joseph. Because I don't think at the time when he was let out, it was to his advantage to mention Joseph. Here, it was to his advantage to mention Joseph. Why? Ah, because Joseph had the answer. And what was going to happen to the cupbearer? He's going to be rewarded. See, it was all about him. All about him. Do we have that same attitude? Uh, <clears throat> You know, he would get praise from Pharaoh. Do we have ulterior motives <clears throat> behind what we say and do? We talked about that in Sunday school. And I, and I was thinking the whole time that's, that's what we're going to talk about in, in the message. 
You know, politics is that way, isn't it? Sad to say. Politicians, you know, scratch my back and then I'll scratch yours. But if you don't scratch my back, I'm not going to vote for your program. If you don't vote for me, I'm not going to vote for you rather than doing what's right. Are we kind to people? Maybe because we want to ask them a favor. Think about this in your own life. <clears throat> Do we butter them up to get something in return? You butter people up just to get something in return. Now, I think married couples are good at this. We can do it to friends too, but you know, I have to be careful because I say, oh, sweetheart, oh, baby, you just look so pretty today. And she'll look at me and she says, what do you want? <clears throat> she knows me. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll have to go, well, let me see. Then I have to confess, uh, I had an ulterior motive. You know, like some baked cookies would be great, especially the oatmeal ones that she makes. Uh, but where is the self-denial <clears throat> and selfless love? Self-denial and selfless love. Mark 8, <clears throat> Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? You want to be Jesus' disciple? Still true today. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. That is, die to yourself and follow me. You might say, oh, that's easy. No, it's not. See, that's giving it all. That's just like the husband and wife relationship. If you're looking at her, to find contentment, you'll never find it. What you do is love her in spite of her and vice versa. This is simple gospel truth. <clears throat> do you see your mate or a friend as someone to give to or to take from? Let that sink in. To give to or to take from? <clears throat> Believe me, these are conviction, <clears throat> convicting me as well. Thirdly, third observation, God's timing is always best. Yeah, the butler was negligent, forgetful, ungrateful, etc. But it was in God's timing. He was guilty of not bringing up Joseph before now. But all this was in God's timing for God's purpose. God works those things together. I don't know how, but he's God and he does a good job of it. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, not a second early not a second late. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's good news. Galatians 4, 3 and 5. So also, when we were 
under, uh, underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God's timing, in due time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. <clears throat> God's timing is the best timing. It's a timing that I want. I wouldn't change anything about my life because I recognize God has been in everything that's happened in my life, even my sin. Doesn't excuse my sin, just like it doesn't excuse the butler's sin. <clears throat> but I wouldn't change a thing. All my mistakes were working together for good. Every link in the chain is important, even the rusty links are important. <clears throat> but you say, oh, if just this had happened, or that had happened, what then? Well, I don't know, but I wouldn't change a thing. Fourthly, nothing in this life is certain, therefore we, we must not be too discouraged by adversity nor too excited about prosperity. You know, people that look excited all the time and act excited all the time and they're just, ooh, you know, just happy-go-lucky people, they have their discouraging moments. Uh, believe me, and I've known some. And, uh, but the mark of a mature Christian is to be self-controlled when it comes to emotions. This is the way Joseph, and he had to learn that. At first, he wasn't like that. He spouted off to his brothers and, you know, the coat he was wearing and how he was going to, uh, they were going to bow down to him and, but we see a different Joseph now. God had to teach him. And God wants to teach us. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every Situation. I think that's about all of it, by the way. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that's who you look to. You look to Christ. Because he is your strength. He is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the Bible says. The joy, his joy for me. He rejoices over me. He delights in me. I don't understand that, but he does. That's what gives me strength. I'm not living this life in my own strength. It's because Christ is my strength. And so give him praise this morning. And, uh, and the reason of the chorus is because <clears throat> this is a temporary life. We're just passing through, as I said earlier. <clears throat> What does the Bible say? We're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. 
how would you like for life to be forever where you never died? Have you ever thought about that? In other words, you just everybody lived. Of course, it's impossible because of, of different reasons, but you know what? I'm glad I don't live to be 400 or 600 years old or 900 and something like Methuselah, but all my days are numbered, and I trust God in all of those days that he is with me and directing my path. And so Joseph, we find, has a real loose grip on all this stuff and his power that he's been given. He knows how to live on the mountaintop and he knows how to live in the valley. He has the same character in all these circumstances. And then fifthly, every time we take credit, we rob God of his glory and we rob others of an opportunity to hear the truth. It's not my genes, it's not my upbringing, it's not my heritage, it's not my theology that I've got right, it's not my education, but what does Joseph do? He gives glory to God. Did you see that beginning in verse 16? <clears throat> Notice in, in uh, Genesis 41, in verse 16, so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He doesn't take credit for it. Why? Because credit is due to God. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And also down in verse 28. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. There can be no mistake. Joseph realized that this was of God. And we need to be the same way. We need to give credit where credit is due. So when somebody comes up to you and, and brags and, or whatever and say, no, it is Christ in me. And then it gives you an opportunity to witness. When people see good in you, you say, oh, there's none good but God and Christ is in me, the hope of glory. It is by his doing that I'm in Christ Jesus. He works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, give him the glory because his glory is due. I love uh, with uh, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego before Nebuchadnezzar in uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. You see, they gave glory to God, and they realized that they were in his hands. And we need to be the same way. We need to see that we're in his hands. Uh, 
Sixthly, God's word is not to be only interpreted right, but applied to every situation. The dream and its interpretation was from God. It didn't come from Joseph. But you know, Joseph was not left out of the loop. And by that I mean, it was from Joseph that he got the idea of saving a certain percentage of it for the years of famine and, and all the grain that he put in these granaries. And he was in charge of all. God didn't say to Joseph every little detail. No, Joseph had a responsibility as God was working in him. We have a responsibility as God is working in us to do his will. So yesterday when we met and had, uh, I went out and cut firewood, God didn't say to me, now Sid, cut 45 pieces of wood. And then when you cut those 45 pieces of wood, I want you to bring and stack them right there. Well, no, he's, he's given me wisdom. He's given me intelligence. And uh, now I can ask him, is this enough wood? And he'll say, you need to cut more or whatever. But no, he has given to us the responsibility. He's working in us. But uh, don't uh, just think, well, you know, it's, it's up to him whether he wants to do it or not. In Acts chapter 11, we find with Agabus the same thing. There was a famine. And he doesn't tell them what to do. It says, and the elders disperse goods to the church. You see, no, that's... God can speak to us what to do in, in times of need. Anyway, seventhly, wisdom is seen not only in the giving of good counsel, but in the humbling receiving of it. It's amazing to me, Pharaoh, uh, I think here is to be commended. Why? He's taking advice from a slave, Joseph, a man who is in prison. And this, I think, shows a great deal of common grace on the, uh, on the side of, of Pharaoh. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. We need to be slow to what? Yeah, slow to speak and quick to hear before we speak. Pharaoh here is to be commended because he uh, discerned that this was the man. And he listened, he observed what was said. Then lastly, then lastly, number eight, we're not to worry about tomorrow, but we are to prepare for tomorrow. We're not to worry about it, but we are to prepare for tomorrow. And that's what Joseph was doing. Matthew chapter 6 in verse 25, it says, in the King James, it says, take no thought. But the idea is, no, we are to think about it and plan for it and so forth. But he's saying here not to worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life or take no thought. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. But we are to think about it. We are to plan. We are to be concerned about different things. It's okay to save. It's okay to have a savings account to put back 
for the famine that may be ahead? See, Joseph did. He said, you know what? There's going to be seven years of all, all this good stuff, and then we're going to have seven years of famine. So let's just live it up for the seven years, and we'll just let the seven famine years take care of themselves. No. He act, acted wisely. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So we can learn even from the ant, can we not? And so, yes, we, we are to think about and plan and save uh, for the future. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's what Joseph did. But the problem is, People don't use common sense, and they get their focus on the stuff and not really what brings happiness. They buy things that they don't need with money that they don't have to try to find happiness that doesn't exist in that stuff. And they keep doing it, and they keep, no one as far as I know has ever been content with all the stuff that they have. We need to prepare spiritually. I want us now, in these moments left, I want to think about Joseph as being, in his day, the Savior of the world. There's a great parallel here. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there was a granary with all of this grain. What do you make with wheat? Ah, does that bring anything to your mind? What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Come to the granary. There's all you need. I'm all you need. Isn't it amazing how the Old Testament and the New Testament is pictured in what Jesus is to us, is the bread of life? John 6, 7 through 58. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And again, what is salvation in Christ? Believing, having faith in, trusting in, depending on, casting all your cares on, living for, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him. I am what? The bread of life. I'm the grain in the granary, if you will. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they what? Died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and what? Not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whosoever eats this bread will live forever. Th this bread is my flesh, flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, 
and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds, just as they did in the granaries in Egypt, but the Savior of the world set aside, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. They live because of Joseph, the type of Christ. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will what? Live forever. That's by faith. Living by faith in Christ. You know what? This is the time of plenty. There will be coming a time, though, in the future where there will be only judgment. Scripture says that. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, the last verse. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He says, you die once and there will be judgment to come. Let me ask you this morning, are you feeding on the bread of life? Who is Christ? He is the only one that can satisfy you in this life. I know I've tried it all. And Christ is the bread of life. And he came down. And when you trust him fully, remember he said you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate, hate the other. But you come to Christ. You come to the bread of life. And you'll never hunger again. And you'll live forever by faith and trust in him. If you've never come to Christ, I invite you to come to Christ. You can come to church. Doesn't save you. You can take communion. Doesn't save you. You can be baptized. Doesn't save you. But faith alone in Christ alone through his shed blood alone, will save you forever and ever and ever. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy that Christ came down to this earth and became the bread of life that we can feed upon to where we'll never be hungry again. Oh, Lord, help us to see that he is all we need, that he's our all in all, and may we trust him fully, lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Give us grace to do that. Lord, work in the heart of anyone here who may not know you that they would come to know you, whom to know aright is life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.